me. <clears throat> Romans chapter 15 and verse number 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Father, tonight I pray that you would open your word to us in such a way that we would learn. And even when we hear something we've heard before, may it come with fresh revelation, fresh insight, and a freshness from your presence that will feed us spiritually and will cause us to grow. I thank you tonight, Lord, for answering questions. I thank you, Lord, for clarifying things that are not as clear as they ought to be. I thank you for fresh revelation and for utterance in the Holy Ghost and for confirming <clears throat> your word with signs following. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We Thank you, brother. Thank you very much. We um, have taken several Wednesdays to uh, look at the subject of faith, how it works, what it is, excuse me, <clears throat> and um, we've learned that faith is spiritual substance, heavenly materiality. We've learned that it is our evidence that we hold to and possess until the thing or things we're believing for manifest in the natural dimension where everybody can see it and faith's no longer even necessary. We've learned that faith is a decision. We decide what we believe when we decide what we hear. It's really pretty simple. And we also have learned that faith is action. Smith Wigglesworth, the great English evangelist of yesteryear, he used to make a statement in his meetings. People would hear him say, and he would repeat it over and over again. I guess sometimes it would seem monotonous to some people, but he was trying to get the message over. He would say, faith is an act. Faith is an act. And he was a, a northern uh, Englishman. He was from Yorkshire in the north of England. He would say, faith is a act. They would add H's where there are none, and they would take them off where there were. Uh, but anyway, faith is an act. And so last week, I attempted to try to give some very detailed and very specific instructions about this situation of faith, how to make it work. And we ended by talking about how to gather scriptures and then make our point of contact and then to hold fast our confession and to see the thing through to the end until the thing we're believing for is fully and completely manifested. And so one of the things we said we had to do was go to Scripture, and I suggested, based on biblical standards, that we would find at least two, better still, three witnesses, because that's the standard of the Bible, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established, that we would find two or three, better, three, Biblical witnesses or verses, scriptural statements that specifically and absolutely spell out that it is God's will to deal with whatever issue we're dealing with. If it would be healing, you would find healing scriptures. If it would be a financial need, you would find scriptures dealing with that. If it's something to do with your mental health, and maybe it's an area where you're just being robbed of your peace and 
and you're, um, you know, you're, you're filled or tempted to be anxious, that kind of thing. There's scriptures to cover all these areas, relational issues, family issues, issues with your children, issues with your marriage. And so we find those witnesses. And then I suggested that we meditate till we revelate. Now, that's uh, not a statement that's going to, if you write that in a word processor, it's going to come up that you've made a mistake of some sort because it's just the word revelates not recognized as a real word. But around here it is because what we mean is that you, you meditate scripture until you have revelation knowledge of those scriptures. And of course, we know that we can pray according to Ephesians chapter one for revelation knowledge for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And so we need to do that. And we need to do it for ourselves every day. I do it for you every day. I do it for myself every day. I trust you're doing it for yourself as well. Because that's how we get revelation of Scripture is when the Holy Spirit opens it up to us or reveals it to us. And all faith comes as a product of revelation knowledge. If you want to increase your faith, you're going to have to increase your revelation knowledge. And to do that, you're going to have to go to the Word, and you're going to have to hear the Word, and you're going to, you need to, to read it. We have access to be able in our day and time to read the Word. We need to do that, and we need to hear ourselves saying it. And so when we're armed with these truths, the source of our faith, these scriptures, then we choose to definitely and permanently receive. This is where we were ending up pretty much toward the end of last week's message. We choose to definitely and permanently receive. In other words, we don't receive and then based on something we feel or something we don't feel, whatever the case may be, then we decide we didn't receive and so we're going to try it again two days later. We're going to try it next Sunday or the next Sunday. No, we make a permanent decision to exercise our faith and at that point we stand on those scriptures and before God and before heaven and before the angels and even before the demons that would look on, we receive that which we desire. And so we make that stand. Now this could be through a prayer, a personal prayer, a prayer of agreement, a group prayer, various kinds of prayer, of course. It could be through a prayer. It could be through your confession. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty three that whosoever shall say... And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. And he dealt with speaking to a mountain and causing it to be removed. And that mountain, of course, in your life might be a mountain of sickness. It might be a mountain of pain. It might be a mountain of, of debt. I don't know what it might be. But uh, <clears throat> we can have what we say. Jesus didn't say you'll have what you think. He didn't say you'll have what he thinks you ought to have. You might say, well, I thought we would want what God wants. Well, of course you do. And that's why you opened your Bible and you went to those two or three witnesses or more and you found out what he thinks. So we're not in doubt about what he thinks. I never pray about my healing. I've never prayed about my healing for years and years wondering, is this God's will to do it? Because I've been to the word enough to know it is his will. And so, therefore, we make our, our uh, confession. And then, of course, there are other acts of faith that can be a point of contact to release our faith. It might be the laying on of hands. We had a number of people here Sunday who had hands laid on them. And, of course, if you understand what that's about, 
then you know it's not coming for wishing. It's not coming hoping necessarily. It's coming to believe and to receive. And that's why in a prayer line, I like to encourage people. I mean, I'm, try, I'm not trying to be rude or anything, but I try to encourage people, don't say anything except I receive. Or I believe I receive. You know, you, you don't come for laying on of hands for a prayer meeting. You come for the laying on of hands. You come for an impartation. And if I have an impartation, let's say I had $20 in my pocket. I don't. I have a chapstick. And you don't want that. But let's say I had $20 in my pocket and I wanted to give it to you, then I'm imparting that to you. All you have to do is receive it. You don't have to come and pray, fall on your knees. Oh, pastor, would you give me $20? Would you get? No, no, no. I've already said, I want to give you the $20. Here it is. And you know, if you're like my grandkids, you just take it. <laughs> well, we're God's kids. And we're not even grandkids. We are kids. Amen. Uh, <clears throat> but anyway... We understand that we receive. So even in a prayer line, we just receive the impartation. We, sometimes there are uh, what we call uh, prayer cloths. I, I, I don't know. I need to find a better term, I think, because usually we do pray over them. But, but prayer cloth is maybe a little bit of a misnomer. It's, it's basically a way to transmit the anointing the tangibility of the power of God. And we see it in Acts 19, and it's, it's uh, worked for 2,000 years as people would uh, be used of God in this area. And uh, thank God he still do, does it today. And then there are other, maybe perhaps other acts of obedience, especially to release the anointing in the area of financial things. Sometimes it's just obedience in our giving. The Lord leads us. And as we release whatever it is he has told us to give, then that is also the time when we release our faith. So when we've done this, then I said last week as well that we should practice and do what Hebrews 10.23 and Hebrews 4.14 says. So I want to look at those verses and I'd like for you to look at them with me, please. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 23. And you know, I know I said earlier that this is the last installment, but who knows, this installment may be in two pieces. Um, so I need to cover myself quickly there. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23, it says, let us... Hold fast the profession or the confession. Both uh, words are from the same Greek word. So it, mean, it means the same thing. Or let us hold fast to saying the same thing. Is what it literally says. Let us hold fast to saying the same as. Or the same thing. So we say the same thing over and over. Our confession doesn't waver. And that's a choice we make. No matter whether it's cloudy or sunny, whether we're in pain or not, whether it looks good or it doesn't look good, no matter what the doctor says, no matter what the lawyer says, no matter what anybody says, I hold fast to my confession. I hold fast to saying the same thing. And then also it means to say the same as. And that's important because there is somebody speaking over you right now in heaven. His name is Jesus. Functioning as the great high priest over the church, he is forever at the Father's right hand as our priest and our advocate. And so he is always there. And of course, he would not say anything, not one thing to contradict what he has already said in his word. And so if I say what the word says, I'm saying the same thing as Jesus is saying in heaven. I'm not saying this 
to work myself into a place of receiving. This is not a contest. I don't have to say it a thousand times for it to work necessarily. But why I am saying this is because I am releasing my faith. I believe it, and I am agreeing with Jesus. And so if I had to say it five times or 500 times, that's not the issue. The issue is I am saying what Jesus says and nothing else. No matter what I look like, no matter what it feels like, I am saying what Jesus says and nothing else. And then back in Hebrews chapter 4, we will look there at verse number 14. Hebrews 4.14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest, so there is reference again to, to the priestly ministry of Jesus. So there's a connection between your confession, you'll see this in a minute, and the priestly ministry of Jesus. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Why do you hold fast to anything? Because there's a chance that it could be taken away from you. Isn't that true? When you take a three-year-old across a busy intersection in a busy street in a busy city, you hold fast to that baby, don't you? You hold fast to something if you think there's a chance it could be taken. There may, you may have been in certain places in your lifetime when you held fast to your wallet. You know, because pickpockets or whatever. In certain parts of the world, they're notorious. You know, there are lots of, thi lots, lots of things you might hold fast to. Here it says we're to hold fast to our confession. Why would he tell us that? Because you're going to be tempted to let go of it. And when you are tempted to let go of your confession is when you need it the most. That's the interesting part. That's the ironic part about it. Is you, when you don't want to hold fast, when you don't want to make another confession of your faith, when you don't want to praise the Lord again, when you don't feel like it, and it doesn't look like it's working, that's when you need to do it the most. And so we hold fast to our profession or our confession. We hold fast to saying the same thing. We hold fast to saying the same things as Jesus. So we don't look at the circumstances for our proof or our evidence that what we're believing for is so. So that means if I'm sick, if I'm suffering in any way physically, or there's something wrong with me physically, then I'm not looking at my physical symptoms to determine what I believe. This is exactly the opposite of what the world does. This is, this, this is not, uh, oh, let me say it this way, the world would say this is illogical. The world would say this makes no sense. The world would say uh, this isn't going to work. But what we found last time in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, is that when the fiery serpents were biting the children of Israel, and they were dying, and thousands did die, that when Aaron made atonement for the people, the command came to Moses that the, the, the cure, the way out of this situation, beyond the atonement sacrifice, would be that there would be this brass serpent put up on a pole 
which of course was a picture and a type of Christ, which is hard for a lot of people to, to accept. How in the world could a serpent on a pole be a type of Christ? Well, because you've got to understand that on the cross, Jesus became sin. And he became sick. And he became poor. And he became shamed. And he became oppressed. And he became everything you and I were. So that we can now, by faith in his overcoming and resurrection power, we can now be what he is. And so they were told to look at the serpent on the pole, which is a type of the... Um, the crucified Christ, the great substitute, Jesus, they were told to look, and as they looked, they would live. And you know, I've known about that story for many, many years, and many of you have as well. But only in recent years have I re did I really realize, because I heard someone teaching about it, actually I was reading about it, and it, it really became clear to me, those serpents were on the ground, that's where snakes are. They were poisonous. A bite meant death. And God says, you can't look down there. And if you have been bitten, you can't look at your ankle or your knee or your leg and see if it's swollen, see if it's turning blue or black or whatever it might you know, do. You can't do that. You can't do that. If you want to live, you've got to keep your eyes on the sacrifice. You got to keep your eyes on Jesus, in other words. Now, I know that they were looking at the serpent on the pole, but for us, we keep our eyes on Jesus. How do I keep my eyes on the Lord? He's in heaven, He's at the right hand of the Father, uh, He's not here physically. How do I keep my eyes on Jesus? By looking to the Word. Because the written Word of God is given to us to reveal the living Word of God. Jesus is the Word made flesh. So the way I keep my eyes on Jesus is to keep my eyes on Scripture. And how do I keep my eyes on Scripture? I live in them. They're a part of my life. They become a part of me. And I'm not, I'm not the greatest at memorization. I don't, I don't have a photographic memory and all of that. But, but enough of the Word has gotten into me so I can begin to draw that out when I need it. And that's what you put the scriptures in to you for. is for use when needed. So when you feel good, you need to make sure you're still all along the way feeding on healing scriptures. When there's plenty of money in the bank, you still along the way need to feed on those scriptures like Brother Derek was giving us tonight on giving and receiving, sowing and reaping. You need to be current in your faith in those areas. And, and you need to uh, do the same thing with scriptures that deal with your children, this, your seed, your family, your loved ones, your household. Amen. So look only to Jesus. Look only to the Word. Look only to the Healer. Look only to the Deliverer. Now what I want to... Oh my goodness. It's almost time to go already. What I want to do tonight... <laughs> And maybe next week, uh, I want to talk about what we do when we believe we have received. What do we? What? What does? Uh, 
Well, let me say, let me, let me read it from my notes. I think it'll make more sense for us. If we believe we have received, then the, quote, shall have, and I, I'm re- referencing Mark eleven twenty four 24 there, particularly. Jesus said, therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, when you pray, believe. When you pray, believe. Say that with me. When you pray, believe. When do you believe? When you pray. Not when you see it. Not when you feel it. Not when somebody tells you it's so. You know, I pointed this out a few weeks ago, but I'm going to say it again tonight. When people say, pray that I'll get a good report, I know what they mean, and I want to agree with them as best I can. But my brother and sister, you already have a good report. I've got a good report. Now, the doctor's report may not always be good. The lawyer's uh, uh, report may not always be good. The banker's report may not always be good. But I've got a good report every time I open my Bible. Amen. So, Jesus said, when you pray, believe that you shall believe that you receive them. Believe. When you pray, believe that ye receive. So, when do I receive? When I pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. So Jesus acknowledged that there is a process in the venture of faith. He acknowledged that there could be a span of time between the amen and the there it is in the natural. So if we believe we've received, then the shall have involves the natural visible, complete result of our faith that's been exercised. If you want the complete result of your faith that you have truly exercised, then in most cases, there will be perhaps a span of time between the amen or the laying on of the hands or whatever point of contact we've made. We talked about that earlier. There may be a span of time between that and when it's here for everybody to see. You see, faith always ends in one of two places. Faith always ends either at the question mark, where you no longer know what the will of God is, or, and better, it ends in sight. And when your faith ends in sight, you no longer need your faith. You don't need it anymore. And guess what? When your faith is in sight, then nobody else has to wonder. And that's one of the powerful ways God gets glory. Jesus even taught us that. Remember when he taught us about prayer? He said, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And if you read the context in John 7, he's talking about prayer fruit. Amen. Or is it John 15? Anyway. So there is, this is where, this, this span of time we're talking about is where appropriate corresponding actions, or as Wigglesworth might say, actions, these appropriate corresponding actions are absolutely essential. They're not optional. You know, you may have a car with lots of options. And you know, it's really fun to buy a new car and find out what you've got. You know, I'm one of those people, I... I, I don't, you know, I own a car for a year and then I get out the owner's manual. 
Now, don't come up after church and tell me that I shouldn't do that because that's just one of my weaknesses. Pray for me. As they used to say years ago, pray for me when it goes well with you. Um, and you know that I might uh, do better. But it's amazing. Isn't it wonderful? I remember when I found out my car had a hideous steering wheel. I mean, my, hand, my little hands were freezing for a good while. And I found out it's got a heater. And oh, that was so nice. What a revelation. But you know, that's optional. Most of my life, since I was 16 years old, I've driven. And, um, and most of those years, I never had a heated steering wheel. It's a wonderful option. Well, when we talk about corresponding actions to your faith, that's not an option. It's like the engine. It's essential. It's essential. So what does it mean when 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 says, We walk by faith and not by sight. What does that look like? Is it a blind faith as some people say? And you know, I hate that term because it's not biblical. There's no such thing as blind faith. Because faith sees Better than you can see with 20-20 vision in your eyes. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. And so, uh, we, what does it look like to walk by faith and not by sight? 2 Corinthians 5-7 is the reference for that if you want to look it up. And I just want to uh, turn your attention back to Romans chapter 15 where we started tonight. And verse number 13 Because of all the verses in the New Testament, this seems to be the one that the Holy Spirit keeps bringing me to for a good while. And and I knew that this is where I needed to get to tonight. And I needed to go there, even though I don't think we can finish this. But this is a good picture of what it means to walk by faith, not by sight. Now, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. You're not walking by faith if you're not walking in joy and peace. I'll let that sink in. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in what? Believing. How do I know I'm believing? How do I know I'm walking by faith and not by my sight? Because I have joy and I have peace in that which I believe. This is... This isn't talking about having joy over the bad report. Nobody enjoys hearing bad news. Nobody enjoys hearing the doctor say it's cancer or it's, you know, incurable or what. Nobody enjoys that. Nobody enjoys uh, being in great need and you go and with hat in hand to the loan officer and for some reason they say you don't qualify, we can't loan you the money. I know that because I've been there before in my lifetime. That's not a good feeling. I'm not mad at that person, but I, I, I hope they know that I'm not there now. I don't know if they're still around or not, but anyway. My point is, joy and peace in spite of that stuff that you can see with your natural eye. In spite of the stuff you're hearing with your natural ears. In spite of the things you feel, there's joy and peace because of what you believe. Look at the verse again. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace 
in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. God, the God of all hope, that word hope there means to anticipate with pleasure. Have you ever seen somebody, they say, I'm walking by faith, and they look like they they haven't smiled in weeks. They pray with a frown on their face. They're always straining, you know. Look like they're constipated all the time or something, you know. Just, just, you know, they're just not, not, not looking too happy at all. That's not joy. And that isn't peace. And that isn't faith. Faith is not talking a good game at church. And then two days later when you're home, you fly off the handle and, 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 and a torrent, torrent of unbelief flows out of your mouth and you vent all those frustrations and you talk about your feelings and you look for somebody to feel sorry for you and you hope somebody, quote, understands how you feel. That's not faith. And I am convinced after many years that if you really teach faith the way the Bible teaches faith, that's one of the reasons why that you don't always have a full house to preach to. Because there's just a ton of people, they don't want to hear this, they don't want to do this, they just want to take a pill and let somebody fix it. The problem is, that doesn't work very well. It doesn't work very long. And it won't cure what ails you. The God of all hope to anticipate with pleasure. Hope there also means expectation. It means confidence. So if you truly, really are believing, then you are are anticipating with pleasure the fulfillment of that which you believe for. And if you are anticipating with pleasure, then you don't have a sad story to tell. You don't need an ear to cry on, a shoulder to cry on, or an ear either. You don't need that. The best picture I can paint for you of, of to hope with and, and to anticipate with pleasure is a, a, a five-year-old three days before Christmas. When's the last time you got that excited about what you're praying for? When's the last time you got that excited over a promise you read in the Word of God? The part of the Bible you're excited over is the part of the Bible that's working for you. If you're not excited about any of it, eh, not so much. Now, I really want to talk about joy and peace. But if I talk about it like I need to, you're going to be mad at me. So that's what we'll do next time, all right? Praise the Lord. Let's stand up together. Father, we thank you tonight for your holy written word. Lord, we are people of joy. (laughs) And we are people of peace. Lord, we're not troubled. We're not mad. We're not upset. We're not in bitterness. We're not in unforgiveness. We are people of joy and peace. You're the God of all hope. And so we have expectation. We anticipate with pleasure the fulfillment of your word in our lives. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let's just thank you. If you're believing Him for healing, thank Him. If you're believing Him for a financial breakthrough, thank Him. If you're believing for the salvation of your household, thank Him. 
thank him. Oh, Lord, we anticipate with great pleasure the fulfillment of your word in our lives. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! We rejoice, oh Lord, in you. What a joy! What a pleasure to serve a marvelous, wonderful God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, Lord, I pray right now for every person under the sound of my voice, whether they're in this building or whether they're watching, I pray that your power would manifest for them at their point of need, whatever that need may be. I thank you for healing the sick. I thank you for delivering the oppressed and delivering those who are bound. Whether it's a physical manifestation, a mental, emotional manifestation, whether it's a spiritual thing, whatever it may be, we say, go free right now in the name of Jesus. No spirit of fear, no spirit of anxiety, no spirit of death, no spirit of oppression, no spirit of disease can be upon your body in the name of Jesus, can't be upon your mind, can't be in your heart. In no way. Be free. Be free in Jesus' name. And Lord, I agree with my brothers and sisters that need a financial breakthrough. Lord, there may be those here who are, who are grown in the things of God and in the things of the Spirit and just... Though their needs may be met personally, they're believing you, Lord, to go to another level in their giving. They just want to be a greater blessing. They want to do more than they've ever done. So, Lord, I agree with everybody tonight, wherever they are in their faith. If it's just to get the bills paid next month or next week, or if it's to give more than they've ever given, if it's to be a greater blessing than they've ever been, we thank you, Father, for meeting every need supplying these according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We honor you, Lord. We thank you tonight in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You're so good. You are so good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, if you agree with me, say amen. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. You can be seated if you want to be.